Hello and welcome everybody to TechSquare ATL Social Club, where this live podcasting recording is taking place. My name is Jared Serfozo, and I will be the moderator for this discussion focused on when your ideas become official. The past year and a half has been filled with difficult changes to businesses in every aspect of our personal lives, but what hasn't changed in this community is the push and desire for turning ideas into realities. Today, I'm joined by an amazing panel of five entrepreneurs with their own unique experiences taking an idea and making it a real thing. I'll start off by briefly introducing each of them, and we will circle back at the end of the conversation to talk about what they're doing now, so you can kind of pitch what you're doing, who you're looking for, who you're looking to connect with, all of that. We'll get things started. So with over 15 years of experience in coaching, leading, and educating in multicultural communities, Blanca Catalina Garcia has led award-winning incubation programs focused on Black and Latina women-led tech companies and is the CEO and founder of BCG Innovation, an innovative program design consultancy. In addition to that, Blanca also currently serves as one of the MBDA at ATDC Startup Catalyst at the ATDC Incubator here in Tech Square. Blanca has helped thousands of entrepreneurs and innovators across the Southeast of the US start, launch, and fund their entrepreneurial ventures. So, Blanca, we'll make sure that the mic works and everybody knows your voice for the podcast. Can you remember the first idea you had for an organization or company and how old were you? Yes, um, thanks, Jared. I'm happy to be here with you all. Um, so I was thinking about your question because it's a tough one. Whenever you ask, like, when was the first thing? Um, and the reality is, is when I must have been like eight years old uh, when I thought of the first organization that I wanted to start. I grew up in a traditional Latino Catholic home. And so I wanted to change the world and make it better. And um, I was really into like animals and like, gorillas and whales and things like that. So I wanted to start an organization to. Um, to, to, for a different approach to create awareness around um, animals like gorillas in the Virunga Mountains um, and go out there and see, you know, how, how do we create that awareness and that connectedness to animals that are being impacted by um, encroachment and hunting and that kind right. of thing. So it didn't work out as well as I thought. Yeah. I was pretty, I had a big voice and I remember in school kids making fun of me and saying, hey, Blanca, save the whales. Uh, <laughs> did you have a name for your organization? Uh, no, I don't it? think I had oh, a name okay. for the organization, but that's the first thing that I remember being really passionate about and wanting to do. So, All right. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about those uh, new ideas in a second, but we'll continue on. A graduate from Georgia Tech, Greg Coonley has founded two companies, Unicoi Systems back in 2002 and more recently, Wasega in 2015. Greg is an expert in audio and visual communication systems and is working to make products that help students learn and employees work safely and more efficiently with building intelligence. So Greg, same question to you. Can you remember the first idea you had for a company and how old were you? Uh, thanks, Jared. I'm glad to be here. Um, my, the first idea for my first company, it was me and a few drinking buddies. We were learning how to play golf. And uh, so the name of the company was called Golf Buddy. And the idea was... <laughs> We would take a GPS and a little LCD panel and how far you were from the green. So what sort of a club would you need to get to the golf course? And so we would get together and plan and work. But the problem was we worked at a bar. So all we ended up uh, doing was drinking. Yeah. So, yeah, that one quickly died at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that was uh, 1992. Yeah. So are you 21? Yeah, I'm 21. Yeah, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Tim Felbinger is a recent Georgia Tech graduate who has a history of prototyping products for many companies as an intern, including Tier One and BMW. During his time as the president and shop manager at the Georgia Tech's Invention Studio, Tim co-founded a new business called Start Proto, which won second place at the Georgia Tech Inventure Prize competition in 2021. Tim, same question. Can you remember the first idea you had for a company? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I always like, liked, you know, getting things for free off of Craigslist, fixing them up and selling them. But I think the first real one was kind of, I think it must have been 2013 when like the 5D Mark II and III came out um, for the video world. And like, I, I kind of saw all these businesses around me, local businesses, they had really bad videos. And then I was seeing these like niche things online where they're making really cool stuff with like $1,000 cameras. I was like, man, if I could just get that, I can like start a business. Um, so I actually ended up doing that, and I, I still do some video stuff um, to this day. But that was kind of the first one. I was like, hmm, I think, I think there's a gap here. Nice. Uh, and we'll talk about the video uh, marketing and how that's helped um, yeah, and some other yeah. stuff in a second. With an extensive portfolio and background in producing motion graphics and visual effects, Monroe Ramsey has surrounded himself with the entrepreneur arts community. Recently, he founded Virtual Air, a virtual reality haptic feedback system that won second place and the popular vote at the H.J. Russell Center for Entrepreneurship Business Model Competition. Monroe, what was your first idea and how old were you? Um, I don't really have like the juicy like childhood story of like being an entrepreneur and setting up like lemonade stands and stuff. Um, like I really thought of myself more as like an artist and um, I really like since the age 12 like wanted to own a creative agency and start it myself. Um, but it kind of started out, I would be like in second grade and we, they had like a behavioral system where you'd get tickets for being good and fines for being bad. Um, but we had to like decorate the front cover of our checkbook and I was really good at drawing flames and like my name in front of it and then flames behind it. And then like basically like the boys in the class were like, well, can you do that for me? And I was like, yeah, give me like a few tickets. Nice. Um, so they started giving me tickets that were not even monetary that I could use. Um, so they kind of just like... I don't know, lit this fire in me to like just be like a creative person. People will pay me for my creative. Mm -hmm. And now kind of, I kind of realize now that artists are more closely related to founders than I thought. Yeah, good perspective. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and last but not least, coming from a marketing background, Veronica Woodruff switched careers years ago to enter the technology space by entering hackathons and competitions and winning them by using her problem solving skills. From her years of travel experience, going back to when she was a child, Veronica founded Travelsist, which is helping families get to their destinations easier with support and age-appropriate baby travel gear. Veronica has become an expert in creating a new business and seeing opportunities where others see risks. So Veronica, can you remember your first idea for a company if it wasn't Travelsist? So similar to everyone on the panel, uh, I started my first idea when I was around eight, like Blanca. <laughs> Um, I remember, you know, we went to elementary school where they didn't have so great uh, school lunch and we wanted other things. So I told my friends, if you give me money, I'll come back and I'll bring you some something else. And I remember telling my dad, you know, to take me to Costco and getting buying bulk, you know, candy bars, sodas, all of these different things. And um, I would take them to school and I would sell them and I would come home with you know, for an eight-year-old, $50, you know, was a lot of money. And I would continue to do that. Um, and I probably did that, I don't know, for forever, like all through high school. <laughs> nice. And it sounds like a good business still. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, the moral of the story would be I didn't have the upfront 
cash, but I was able to get them all together <laughs> to give me the cash to go back and get them what they wanted. All right. Awesome. So, I mean, I'll stick with you and we'll get into the, the actual discussion here. Um, you all have either founded uh, a company or organizations. Um, so that's what we're going to be focusing on now. And just to clarify this discussion, uh, a lot of people have entrepreneur, entrepreneurial conversations about, well, how do I start my business? Who do I need to talk to? Okay, do you go through customer discovery like ATDC? Um, but I kind of want to focus on more of the mental aspect of like what you were going through and when you kind of donned this cloak or this mask of I am a founder or of an organization or a business. So, Veronica, um, do you remember like a defining moment in your startup to where you were like, oh, this is going to be a real thing now? So, you know, we all have ideas, right? And it's like a lot of people don't bet on those ideas. They don't start. They don't create them. They don't bring them to life because of fear. And I've always had ideas, um, but it wasn't until I started entering into hackathons that I realized and winning that I realized, okay, I'm actually really good at this. You know, the solutions that I'm solving will actually, they're feasible, they're viable, and they're scalable. And so... Um, when I won my, I already had the idea when I won um, one of my hackathons with Georgia Pacific and um, in Amazon. And so when I won, that kind of gave me the signal like, okay, I'm going to go and do this. And um, someone told me about ATDC. Yeah. Uh, and in order to be a part of ATDC, you have to have a company. <laughs> right, right. So nice. I had to make it official. And then with TravelSys, you're like, well, this is something good. You know, just I know your background, but you know, traveling has been a big part of your life. And I know, especially since starting your own family, you're like, this is a problem that I can solve. When were you like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and tackle this problem? So I kept seeing the problem every time I traveled, and I kept seeing, and I asked, I would ask people even before I knew about the ATDC and their program with customer discovery. I would ask these people, would you pay for something? You know, what 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 would you do? Oh, yeah. You know, because they would be waiting at baggage claim for a long time, waiting for their strollers, their car seats, their pack and plays. And, you know, um, I would just see a lot of distressed parents, you know, right. and just traveling with kids is really hard, you know, and, um, you know, there weren't very many hassle-free solutions. Right. And I knew that I was the best person to be able to provide and solve that problem. And that's what we do with TravelSyst. Man, I just realized what a captive audience you had for doing customer discovery at the baggage claim. Um, so anybody else here, uh, do you remember any specific defining moment? You know, Blanca, you've, you've started a couple organizations. Um, was it that you just saw a need or was it something that, you know, you personally wanted to, to solve for, um, especially with like your new um, consultancy? Yeah, so... Um... I remember reading Natalie Molina Nino has a book called Leapfrog, which I recommend. Um, and there's a chapter in it where she says, uh, find things you can punch. Forget passion, find things you can punch. And I remember reading that and thinking, yeah, like I kept, kept looking for things like I want to punch that. Like that's something I want to solve. It's bothering me. Um, but for me, I think there, there was two steps for an idea sort of being, becoming real. And the first one was internal. So just kind of honing in on something and like waking up in the morning and being like, yeah, that, like, the, how do I find out more about that? How do, what are the questions I need to be asking? Who do I need to be talking to? Like, there was something that 
caught my attention and it was focused and it was clear for me what it would look like in the world, even if it wasn't there yet. Mm. And that was like a shift. But I think the, the second step to it becoming real um, for me and why, why I, you know, I, I know with BCG Innovation, what I had been doing for years was like active, educational, innovative impact initiatives in um, the intersections of, of people uh, and trying to build access to something that those in that intersection of people they didn't have access to or where they weren't connecting with each other, where there was a divide. So I knew that like there had to be a different way to teach, a different way to model collaboration, um, a different way to to help people build relationships and 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 to teach people institutions and organizations how to build access. And I had been testing that out in all these different ways, yeah. um, so that it became clear for me in my head um, how, for example a space of learning could look different from what I had experienced, from what I had been taught to do, and, 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 and from what just was out there in the world. But the second step was like really making it happen. So bringing in people and actually like putting it out into the world and seeing what that idea behaved like in the world. Yeah. And that's when, it, I, for me, that's when it really grows legs and arms because it's it's that your your imagination and your vision touching like that touch point between like people and like how how that looks for other people that that collaboration piece and bringing people on board with your vision that's where i feel like it came to life for me yeah nice uh anybody else or else i'm just going to pick on it because i think i want to hear from each of you um with, with virtual air, Monroe. Um, was Defining it, moment? Yeah, was it like, well, okay, I won the prize, or was this something that you've been thinking about for a while? Um, I'd say the defining moment was before that, and I was like that uh, kid at Georgia State. So I was at Georgia State, and I had done the LED screen uh, for the opening. I did the motion graphics for that, and that was kind of like, ooh, okay, like I'm really going to get so much work after this, you know. Creatives are always trying to build their portfolio and what's that thing that's going to bring you to the next level? And then I, it kind of sat for like six months or a year and I, you know, just kind of felt stagnant. And I was like, well, this is like the biggest thing I could possibly do as a motion designer. Like <laughs> there needs to be more than this. Um, so I kind of pivoted. The CMII had just opened and I wanted to be a part of it. Like since I had transferred to Georgia State, like I really wanted to be at the CMII. Um, and so I kind of started just adding classes that weren't even going toward my film degree at the time. Uh, and I like ended up in this class that was like CMII lecture series. And if you guys have heard of Jack Wilmot, he spent a week in VR and he was like mm, the first yes. speaker in that series. And he's basically like introducing this technology that hadn't completely like hit Atlanta yet. Um, and he's basically saying like, everything before VR was uh, kind of experience, digital experiences that you experience through a window, like an alternative reality that you see through a window, like a TV, whereas VR is stepping through that window and entering, and you can now share the ideas in somebody else's mind, and you can you know, experience what they're thinking. Um, so that was kind of like, as a creative, we're always confined to a space. We're confined to 30 seconds for an ad, or however many seconds, or however long you can think you can hold their attention. Um, and as a motion designer, you're constantly pushing, like, how do I make this look like it's just exploding out of the screen yeah. and capture their attention? 
And it basically all comes down to like, how do you capture somebody emotionally and how do you capture them with your energy? So like this VR thing was just like, oh my gosh, like there's, this is like a new infinite space. Um, but then after a while in like motion design, you realize that you only have a certain set of things that you can do with audio and visual stuff. You can change the size, the color, the speed, blah, blah, blah. You're confined to that. And I kept kind of just trying to burst out of the screen, like make it look like it's exploding at you. Um, so like uh, moving forward, I'm working at an art gallery, Kylan Art, and I was just like, well, I bet I can get him to, you know, take one of my pieces and put it at a show. Maybe if I could do like an immersive art piece. Um, and I really wanted to do like an arcade driving experience. Like I love like vintage arcade stuff, like really like hands-on. Um, but I wanted it to be like a driving experience where in first gear, maybe you look like you're driving and then second gear, you're like skydiving. And I like capture it. It's like, I'm really like, oh my gosh, the shock, the surprise. And I was like, but I really want them to feel like they're skydiving in second gear. Like I really, I want them to sign a waiver, but I want them to like, <laughs> you know, feel like it's happening, and I was gonna add like a giant bladeless Dyson fan kind of thing, and I was gonna like hide it behind the screen, and then suddenly you feel like you're skydiving. And then I have to take this class, uh, because now I've transferred and I'm doing like uh, creative entrepreneurship, like at the CMII, and I have to take this class that's required for entrepreneurship, and on the first day, she was like, name five ideas, and I was like, well, I have been wanting to do this like arcade piece, I don't know, maybe like Dyson meets arcade meets immersive reality sounds pretty cool. And she's like going around the room asking for people's idea. And I was like, uh, I think Dyson meets arcade. And then like the room just goes silent. And I was just like, you know, pretty like as a creative, you know, we're always like pretty in touch with like how people are reacting to stuff. And I like thought that people like didn't like it. I thought they didn't get it. She was like, do you feel that? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, that's a very good thing. <laughs> and so she, like, the class votes for the top five ideas. I end up with, the, like, one of the top five. And then before any other team got a second person to join the team, they made me sit down because we had full capacity. So it's like the idea chose me, and then I had to learn to be an entrepreneur after that. <laughs> I really didn't want to do this at first, but now I think it's kind of where I belong. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and I'll just jump over to Greg. Um, you know, coming from, I really want to know the, the point from the first company and then working for that for a while, what was the spark that says? Where I switched you, from the first one to the yes. second one? So the first company was sort of, I stumbled into it. It was, uh, it started as a, not even a lifestyle company, but a lifestyle assist company. And uh, I had developed an operating system that I could sell online. I had this old muscle car that at that point, we had two young girls, and I didn't have any extra money, so I was selling my operating system online, yeah. and that's when the dot-com bust hit, and uh, it was growing fast enough that I could start that company. But I hadn't put any research into it, um, and so it just it turned into a lifestyle assist to a lifestyle company. And we kept, so then as we transitioned to the new one, um, we kept running into all of these companies. We were in the life safety space. You know, how do we... Uh, protect children in schools, emergency um, call stations that are outside in the parking lots. So we kept trying to sell our technology into all these really old companies, and they were the product offering was very inadequate. And so after probably three years of beating our head against the wall, we're like, you know, forget this. Let's compete with these guys if they're this incompetent. And it was a hard transition to go from selling uh, just software IP to making hardware products and. The, that, gotcha. that kind of yeah. transition. That's and, cool. Uh, we still had to pivot uh, a couple of times until we found the, the right space. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, um, it's going good finally now. Nice. 
And then Tim, I'm assuming, well, I won't assume anything, but what was, what was the point um, to where you were like, oh, Start Proto could actually grow some legs and it's a real company now? Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess going back to the, the origins of Start Proto, right? Um, Zach and I, my co-founder now, with some others, we participated in a hackathon freshman year, right? And we were supposed to, I think it was like you had to pick up like an apple and like a water bottle and a book, right? And you had to make this like grabber to, to pick this thing up. We're like, it was like the night before the submission, we're like, okay, we can, we can throw something together to, to make this work, right? And so we submitted a plan and we got in and we're like, okay, cool. Now we have $500 to build this thing. We're like, wow, this would be really cool to like buy some stepper motors and just like have them for other projects, right? That was, that's where our heads were at at the time. Um, and then we ended up building this thing and we ended up winning. And that got us internships at BMW in Munich. Um, so we spent six months over there. I think Zach did 3D printer automation. Um, but the team I worked on, Initially in the company, I was supposed to do like screw torque curve analysis, right? And we were like optimizing every little piece of the production factory. And um, as, and as exciting as that is, not really what I wanted to do, right? I needed to like laser cut something. And the other, the only way to get something made in the company was to submit like an RFQ and get it made. And like took like four weeks. And I used to, used to the Adventure Studio. So I was like, well, I could just go make this in like 10 minutes, right? Um, and it turned out another department was hosting a hackathon that week that... Um, had a laser cutter there. It's like, great, I'll go make that thing. I didn't end up actually making that part, but I did get roped into uh, a project where we were, like, it's basically just a hackathon. The, the team, when I joined them, they had two pieces of cardboard and a cart, and they're like, we're going we're gonna to make forklifts safer. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, why don't we, like, actually build a prototype? Um, so we bought a bunch of security cameras and an Arduino and put a bunch of sensors on it and tested it with the driver. Um, and then had to you know, pitch it at the end of the week, et cetera. And I won that uh, with that team. And then there was another one where we were designing like a center console, and we won that too. Um, were you competing then, with your co-founder, by the way, in all these, or no? No, no. This, okay. he, he actually went at a different time. But okay. right. other friends ended up being on the capstone team. Um, but yeah, then we designed like a center console. We won that. And then at some point, the, the lady running that program, she had done her PhD in like corporate hackathons and innovation events um and she was like you should just help and coach as opposed to just continuing to like beat out all these 50 year old engineers they're getting a little annoyed with that um so anyway that that left a, a big impression on me and then we came back to the u.s and we're like okay for capstone we can use the money to like buy a trailer put a bunch of tools in it and go to companies and like run these corporate hackathon events and we were like all set up to do that we had all the spreadsheets everything was figured out and then covid hit um, and we're like, well, I mean, it, it was to the point where BMW was running a hackathon in the U.S. And they were like, yeah, cool, we'll pay you $15,000. You come out for the week, you, like, do this thing. And, you know, we had that all set up and then it didn't happen. We're like, well, now we got to find another idea. Um, and we were in CreateX Capstone. And we, we, we thought of some really dumb things, like flooding protection systems for jails. Apparently it's a problem. People, like, break the fire extinguishers just to get out for the day. Um, <laughs> But eventually, we're like, what do we know really well, right? And the, the thing was makerspaces, right? I'd run the invention studio for a couple of years, and we're like, okay, there's a really big issue here in our wood room, right? There's a bunch of tools that anyone can walk in and use at any time, and we don't know who's trained, and like, there's usually slightly understaffed, et cetera. So we're like, all right, cool. We'll build like an access control system for this, right? So it tracks your trainings, and then if your train turns on a tool. If not, it doesn't. That was kind of the, the MVP of it. 
Um, and we started collecting a lot of data off of that and ended up getting roped into Inventure Prize and then winning second place there. And we're like, hey, cool. Like, all those people who said they'd buy the thing, let's go try to sell it to them. Um, and the business model didn't really work out there. But in that process, somehow it got sent to manufacturers. And they're like, we could really use this type of data about our shop floor. Um, so that's what we've pivoted to now. And um, kind of the, the stage where it felt real was when I had all these job offers on the table graduating. And I was like, hmm, OK, like, that's cool. But like, any, uh, like, I don't know. I would get these job offers. And they're like, oh, you could like, go do this and this. And like, it'd be really cool. To be, and I, I just like, none of it excited me. But what I was excited about was this thing we'd done with, with Start Proto. So I was like, OK. I'm just going to do that. Like, screw it. I'll be poor for a couple of years. Like, it'll be fine. Right. Um, yeah, and now we, I think actually just a couple minutes ago, we called our person we're installing for first. And they're like, yeah, like, we'll send you a check to, like, prepay for all the hardware, come up here, and, you know, do everything. So that's, I don't know, that's another one of those moments where it feels real. You're like, someone is handing me money for the thing that I'm making. Nice. So, well, yeah, that's. Who was the guy that paid you first? I'm just, I want to know. Oh, uh, no, no. It's, a, it's, a, it's a machine shop. Um, I think that's all we can really say. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a good segue. I'd like to discuss now um, what kind of investment should be required for anybody um, to claim that they're working on a startup idea or business. Is it, examples are, the amount of time they're spending, the dollar amount that it's costing them, did they file for an LLC, did they register a domain name? Of course, it's very subjective. Um, and I know that, you know, Blanc has had a lot of experience coaching people. Like, you know, I've had a couple LLCs in my time, and I'm like, well, I guess I have this business. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you, what do you think is real? Like, what, what's, is there a, a defining moment that you can say to somebody, be like, oh, well, yeah, you have a real business idea. Or is it just, if you have an idea, maybe that's a business now. Uh, and it's just open form if anybody has any opinions on that. I mean, time is the most expensive thing. It can't be replaced and you, you can't get it back. So you definitely have to put sweat equity into your idea to make it work. You definitely have to go out and get all of your customers. Yeah. And, um, you know, that to me, that's, you know, I feel like that's the biggest thing. You have to put the time in. Time? Anybody else? Do you have to have an LLC? Uh, I'll second that. Um, I totally agree that so it depends on the kind of business that you're building. Uh, and if, you, if, you ha if you're, you're going into something that is sort of traditional and known, so there's like a, there, there might be like a checklist. You could go to the SBA and say like, oh, okay, I want to start a restaurant. There's a process for that that's been tried and true. Um, but I think if you're doing something innovative, um, it's less, the structure that goes around it should be the one that makes sense in order for you to get to the next step. Um, and the first, the first thing you're really doing is you're putting that idea out into the world and seeing what it looks like. So it's kind of what you were saying, um, that, that you, ha you really kind of have to make those relationships. You have to find out who your customers are. You're having conversations. You're, so there's all this other... Um, non sort of mm, operational structural things that you're doing in the beginning to 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 make that idea into something yeah um, and that's the first step yeah yeah um do you all know mark from cabbage or yes. yeah okay yes. i don't know if you saw he posted something on linkedin that really spoke to me and that was startups are a lot like roller coasters it has its upside it has its ups and downs and a lot of times it makes you throw up 
Mm-hmm. And I would say blood, sweat, tears, throw up, and crying. Yeah, I mean, just like right, well, it makes you feel so much. Though, yeah, it just like it's the intensity of it, and it's like it makes you stay up at night, or like you wake up and you're like, I don't know. I was never a morning person until I had to start up. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel it. Nice. Um, unless anybody has anything to add, I'll I'll ask Greg. Um, do you remember the first time you were introduced as a founder? And what was it like? Was it kind of weird? Like somebody's giving you this title? I think some, it, where you're introduced as one. Yeah, I don't necessarily remember it, but I remember, I mean, even now I'm introduced as a founder and I like me. And I kind of look around. It's, sometimes you still have the imposter um, syndrome yeah. going. Like, is, am I really doing this? And yeah, it's, there's the uh, internal psychological component of it. Yeah. Anybody else uh, have a weird feeling where that was, you know, just given to them? You. I remember when, so I went through Launchpad 2X and Bernie Dixon, you know, she's very firm about introducing yourself as a CEO first. So CEO and founder. And, you know, I remember feeling, you know, not so confident. But then I noticed that when I started saying and introducing myself as the CEO, it gave me the confidence. You know, when someone asked me um, who is, you know, who is the point of contact? And I say, oh, that will be me. I'm yeah. the CEO of, yeah. <laughs> of Travel Sys. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like a kind of a, not a mask that you wear. As you're saying, like, are you like, who, me? But... And there's, you know, there's different strategies on, do you play up that, you, you know, you know, old school, like, fake it till you make it type of thing. I saw everybody had founder CEO, or at least CEO in their bio, so I added CEO to my LinkedIn after I saw you guys pull it. There you go. So, I think it's official now. <laughs> and, um, and in your case, Blanca, what, I think what I want to ask you with this is, you know, you've, you've helped so many entrepreneurs. Do you remember the first time that somebody connected you to either an entrepreneur or somebody to mentor to where like, oh, you need to meet Blanca because she knows everything about this. And like, what, what was that feeling like? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I would, I would echo the imposter syndrome. Like they're any minute they're going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was also um, an affirmation of, Mm, a lot of hard work and a lot of mm, yeah like 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 you said Monroe there's this it's this idea of like I didn't I didn't wasn't used I wasn't a morning person before this but it's sort of like this this drive to do something that um that really connects to your heart to that that, that connects to you to this, I don't know how to call it like purpose mm-hmm. um and to for someone else like it's like you kind of know you're doing it, and for someone else to be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's their light." Right. So then that that was something that um, I I would say that I I don't remember the exact moment, but I know that I was transformed at that moment. Yeah. So perfect. And um, so on this topic, uh, I remember moving to Atlanta and and uh, hanging around ATDC. That was my introduction to Atlanta, basically. And seeing the people walk around and seeing the different founders at Entrepreneur Night and things like that, 
Um, I'll say that there's a little bit of a celebrity status associated with being a startup founder, especially around here and, and of course, different communities across the nation. <laughs> but, um, you know, well, we have student groups, too, here that are, you know, startup exchange. Um, you know, you talked about the founder of Cabbage and, like, oh, looking yeah. up to him, right? He said, like, oh, you know, whoa, you got to stand up straight. Um, but what would you tell people is the biggest stress that, you know, either younger people or, or actually any, any age looking to enter into kind of this new innovative world and technology world, what is the biggest stress that you think people might overlook when your idea first becomes official that non-founders may, uh, may overlook? You're talking about maybe puking from the roller coaster. So I guess I had the most radical, like suddenly I'm an entrepreneur. I feel like everybody else had more experience, but something that was like a big shocker to me was that like, uh, in, the, in every industry that I'd been in, every job that I'd had, I was answering to a superior and I had to have permission before everything. Um, and then I realized that like, this is not the time to ask people whether I should do something. Like it's suddenly all you and your parents are not like cheering for you like it's your soccer game anymore. You know, it's not quite like that anymore. It's kind Sometimes of like the opposite. They're like, yeah, hey, stop like, messing with that. Yeah. yeah, I'd say it's the complete opposite where it's just like you're on your own, kid. I mean, you're the big CEO founder, guys, so why don't you handle it yourself? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like, it's like growing pains. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of growing pains. <laughs> Anybody else have any advice of, or what's some stresses that people may overlook? Yeah, I think honestly the thing that stresses me out the most is all the things I know, all the things I don't know that I don't know, right? There, there's, there's a lot of things that you know you don't know, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I can like ask someone about that. Mm -hmm. But it, it's all those other things where you're like, I don't even know what questions I should be asking, right? And that's kind of the stuff that kind of keeps you up at night, and you're like, okay, cool. I guess, I, I guess I'll run into it eventually, right? It'll, and then you, you kind of go through it, and you're like, okay, cool. I smashed through that wall. I guess we're, we're going to yeah. figure out what the next one is. Yep, and um, the, the stress of that is when you go through it, in hindsight, like, wow, that was obvious. Why didn't I see that? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's why I joined ATDC, because I was so tired of stepping on every landmine, and you look backwards, and each one of those were so obvious. Like, well, what don't I know? What don't I know to, to even ask about? So yeah. I didn't know about customer discovery until three years ago, and it's I mean, been a godsend. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of a good plus for just any community that people can join and just being around other other people make sure you're not within your own bubble um so speaking of customer discovery perfect oh, lining it up <laughs> um so in addition in addition to customer discovery classes like within atdc's educate program here um what are some other resources that any of you can suggest for people looking to validate their startup ideas if you know of any I just tell everybody to go to ATDC, but it's a little bit easier for me. So there's definitely Start Me. Um, that's a great program. It's affiliated with Emory University. Um, that's more community-based. Um, so um, they provide a lot of resources, a lot of hands-on um, help and assistance with your business. Um, and there's also, I'm a part, I'm currently a part of the Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative, uh, and that's sponsored by Invest Atlanta. Um, and uh, they have a ton of resources. They also partner with ATDC, um, but they help your business to scale and grow and, you know, be successful. Um, there's also, if you're a woman out here, woman business owner, woman startup founder, there's Launchpad 2X that's led by Bernie Dixon. Um, and that's, that's a wonderful program um, that just kind of gives you the stuff that you need 
to be able to enter those big rooms and, and kill it. But yeah. Atlanta has a lot of good resources. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you can find a good uh, startup circle, um, just meeting weekly with other CEOs. A lot of the startup circles will have um, startup CEOs, but they don't have people who want to give back. So it's a, gotcha. a mix. Uh, no, I go to one up in Alpharetta. The uh, Alpharetta, they have a, a good, every Friday at 9 a.m., we get one up there. All right. Yeah, and if you're if you're a student at Georgia Tech, um, certainly CreateX. I've I've done oh, yeah. every single one of the CreateX programs at this point, and they've all been very helpful. Um, by the third or fourth one, it sounds a little repetitive, but it's like all very important stuff. And every time you, you know, hit one of those walls, you're like, wow, I, you know, someone told me about that. But it's, um, yeah. So the CreateX ones are are always good. Nice. And then yeah, I mean, yeah. Bucky, you you have a ton of resources. Yeah, I mean, um, I have so many that it would be really it would be hard for me to list them all off. Um, so so what my role at ATDC, as, as you mentioned, is um, uh, MBDA at ATDC. So if you don't know what that is, that's the Minority Business Development Agency. Um, and so we have the two centers here at the Georgia Tech um, Enterprise Innovation Institute. And that's, all, that's also what houses ATDC. So um, there are so many resources for companies and startups just in that building. Right. Um, and so I would, what I would encourage you, you all, you brought some really good stuff. And one of the things is you don't know what you don't know. And the, and when you are in this space, you are doing something that to some extent has an unknown path. Even if people lay out a pathway, I just kind of want to be like, really, does that work for everyone? I don't know. So, so I think that having the community and that, the, so that offers, for example, at ATDC, we have these wonderful classes, but we also know the importance of having events like this, right. where here we're just sitting here talking, but we're also meeting each other, and we're creating a community where we share ideas and we share knowledge. And as you mentioned, Greg, there's people that are supporters here. So there's mentors. There's people who, that you can start building a relationship with. Um, so I would encourage anyone who's starting a business to just just go out there and go into the communities like like ATDC. Um, it, we has an, a fantastic program, but there, are, you know, it just what fits you and go and meet people and find out how they did it. There are so many different resources, but it's really through those relationships and through that shared learning um, that you're going to find the pathway for your uh, particular company. Nice, perfect. So I'm going to ask uh, one more question for the panelists, and then if anybody wants to ask any questions, we'll do like maybe two or three minutes of Q&A. And if not, we'll just go forward and uh, tell everybody what you're doing now and then um, where to check out all of your stuff. So uh, this question is, do any of you have any startup ideas other than what you're working on right now that you're interested in exploring further? No yes, VR stuff. Kind of. You can't stay no, in it's VR. Not at all. VR. Okay. It's, it's renewable energy. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, every, so my dad and I were even talking about this in the car um, recently, and so there's there's like a problem with solar power when it's cloudy. You know, it's like either very sunny in Atlanta, or it's like, do we use wind power? Probably not. Do we use hydroelectricity or whatever? But everywhere has gravity, and I would even say that like even oil rigs have like basically pendulums that go back and forth, and that's what you need for energy is motion and not necessarily heat. So if you could have like 
um, almost like using the pendulum that's going back and forth using gravity, like a pendulum, it requires very little energy. It's like almost just like almost infinite, but not quite. But if you had strings attached to that, that were pulling on things that generate electricity, then you could generate renewable energy through gravity and everywhere has gravity. You can, if you have gravity, you can have a pendulum. You could even ironically attach it to like an oil rig <laughs> back and forth and it would generate electricity. Um, but that probably isn't one that I have time to work on for a while. <laughs> That's pretty fun, though. We get gravity. you with energy and solar inventions over there. Gravity power. All right. Any other ones? I, I know you're probably saving them for your next venture, so you don't want to, you know, give out any ideas. So it's fine if not. But uh, communicate. You can't stay in communication. So if you have any, is there anything else like? Uh, Bowling or hunting, <laughs> like nobody's innovated. Oh, I guess they're right, so, innovating. Um, oh, here it my, is. My daughters are are they give me a hard time, but I want to start an artisan food court of all things, or just sort of have, um, you know, because restaurants, it's like you go there to eat, but a lot of times you want it sort of to be dinner and a show, but just naturally, so you have, you know, maybe different cultural um, food stations that are are authentic, but it's like maybe it's just tortillas or maybe it's just um you know cheeses or breads but you mix all those together and you can have just lunches and you have a, lo a large area where the kids can play and i don't know it's just sort of a secondary side idea but my girls keep giving me a hard time because i say oh here's another good one for my artisan cafe <laughs> nice anybody else definitely want to be able to create social impact um, using technology here in atlanta um, with inner city use. So, uh, you know, we all know about the water boys and, you know, the boys outside of the road. And I strongly think that they need mentors. Um, and so just even listening to all of your ideas about virtual reality, like, do you know how many of them may have those same similar ideas, but they don't know what to do with that? Right, yeah. So, you know, figuring that out, but, you know, that's not what's on my lap right now. But maybe, you know, I can pass that to someone else. Nice. That's a pretty good idea, actually. So if you're listening or if you're here and you want to partner on some of these ideas. Can I, can I add to what you were saying? Because yeah. I feel like they almost have more ideas because they're thinking about how do I get out. Like I keep hearing about how do I get out of the hood. And so they have a ton of ideas. Right. And they're always thinking. <laughs> so it's like that needs to connect to the people who can help them become a company. And, you know, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would say that, I mean, a lot of the work that I've gotten to do has been with um, women of color. And so I'm just, I don't know what it would look like from the structural standpoint, but yes, like more, act, more active in community in the Southeast um, amongst mompreneurs and um, Latinas. I want to see more Latinas in the startup space, like innovating and breaking yes. barriers. Um, and for that, you, you got to bring people together and you got to make it happen. I mean, I, I can't believe that there isn't something like that already, but, but I guess, you know, we're just, I guess we're just going to have to do it. <laughs> and we will. <laughs> right on. It's pretty interesting, especially with Microsoft coming in here soon in a big way. I mean, I know that they're looking for outlets for that, so... Maybe we can get them over here and kind of direct their programming a little bit. Um, okay, any uh, questions? No pressure. You don't have to. I know it's very scary. Yes, here, I'll come to you. 
My name is uh, Armand Honore from uh, Billseye. So the question I have is, how are you able to run your companies and still do these kinds of events? Because I literally lost half a day coming from up the north side coming down here. <laughs> That's a good point. Like, how, how do you, um, you know, balance uh, working, you know, can you lead to burnout and, and do you force yourself to come to these things or, or how does that work? I, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty used to bootstrapping, but so a few weeks ago I gave my plasma for $100. Uh, I flip free TVs because nobody wants their TV, but uh, old vintage gamers love old CRT TVs. Uh, so I, I'm a goodwill flipper. Uh, I keep the money going by, I like learn to be an entrepreneur by becoming a flipper and like really uh, being forced to like find money in creative ways. Yeah. But timing-wise, you don't sleep? Uh, I, I sleep, um, but I move slowly. Like, oh my gosh, like I wish that I could move quicker. You know, it just takes longer. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Yeah, I'll add to that as Arbon, was it? Yeah. You guys have the coolest names. Because um, I know I'll see. Um, so what I would say to you is that, that I understand. I hear this all the time from entrepreneurs that I work with. I don't want to go to an event. Why do I have to go to an event? <laughs> I have to run a company. <laughs> I am really busy. I don't sleep as it is. Um, and I would just say to you that, yeah, you got to be strategic about what you're spending your time on because, as you said, Veto, like your time is the only thing that you cannot get back. It's so it's so valuable, and so spending it on your on on your business makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, getting out there, getting out of your head, being able to sort of change scenery, and using that time to make relationships, uh, to open up to new ideas, is that. That is, it's essential. It's essential to being an entrepreneur. Um, so I would say that you gotta be strategic. You know, you gotta pick the, the events and the things that you're doing wisely, uh, but also that it's key. Um, it, it's key to growth. It's key to so many things that you need to do. So it's part of, it's, it's, it's something you just gotta figure out a way to build into it. And you know, you have to decide you know how valuable it is. One of the things I did is when I started doing customer discovery, um, being down here was so important. I actually moved from from uh, up up north to you know, just in Midtown, just so I could be down here more often. Because you're right, it's a, it's such a pain to drive 40 minutes each way, and then of course the stress of sitting in traffic. You know, you as soon as you get here, you're angry, and then it's hard to <laughs> relax and, and learn. Yeah, I so I I don't believe like now at the age that I am, I'm a hundred percent extrovert, but um I thrive off of energy and energy from heartbeats. So I like these events, but I know that, you know, being the CEO, being an entrepreneur, you have to be very intentional with your time. So, you know, just to piggyback off of what Greg said, you, know, you do have to you know, measure the value of each of these events, but it's also very necessary. You know, these are where I collect, in a, you know, innovative ideas. When I gather with my sisters, my wee sisters, you know, we're able to bounce off ideas to solve problems, you know, because they're also entrepreneurs. So I believe every entrepreneur is a problem solver, you know, and they can have a different perspective of how to solve something that you're currently facing. Um, so, you know. 
every now and then, you know, this is necessary. Yeah, I'll also say just for us personally, I think some of the biggest strides we've made were not actually sitting there doing work. It was just like a thought you had while driving in the car or like, you know, you go to an event and you meet someone, you're like, wow, like actually that, that could open up a really cool avenue or you meet a mentor or just, I don't know. So it, it, it's worth it, right? It doesn't always feel like it's what you want to do. Like I, I know Zach right here is sitting and just thinking about code because that's what we're doing these, these couple of weeks. Um, but it's always important to meet people and it's ultimately, I think, for the better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's worth it. So still hard, but you yeah. just kind of make it happen. Uh, any other questions? No? Three, two, one. Okay, so I'll end it, um, and we'll go from my right around this way. Go ahead and tell everybody um, where they can find out more about your company and what you're doing, and kind of a little mini pitch, and if you need anything from anybody. So again, I'm Veronica Woodruff. I'm the CEO and founder of TravelSyst. Um, we make it easy for families everywhere to travel by taking out the hassle. Um, we have on-demand concierge service that's available to you from ticketing to plane side and everywhere in between when you're at the airport. Also, we have um, baby gear rentals. So things like your car seat, stroller, and pack and play, those items are available for parents, families to rent um, when they arrive at their final destination. Um, I'm, you know... We're currently raising our pre-seed round, so if you know of any investors or partners, or even if you yourself would like to invest, um, we have crowdfunding options available. So uh, reach out. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, also follow us, support us. Um, we're on Instagram at TravelSyst app and Facebook at TravelSyst, and that's it. Hey, I'm Greg Coonley. Uh, my company is Wasiga. And we just recently launched our Karina platform. And really what Karina does is uh, it's like a building control, a safety building control system. Um, and it allows us to modernize the, uh, the safety and communications platform for schools, buildings, uh, industrial tenants. Um, so really our, when you see uh, active shooter lockdown, it's our systems and the, the newer schools that are, uh, are doing that. It's a sad thing to talk about, but, you know, the systems today are old, analog, and, and the children aren't really protected with the old platforms. And so our system is cost-effective compared to some of the other competitors out there. So our price is the same as legacy systems. So that's allowing these poor schools to be able to afford um, a modern safety platform. So that's what our big push is on right now. Um, so I actually want to take advantage of this this gathering to talk about the project that I'm working on right now, which is the MBD at ATDC, which is actually part of a bigger project called the Business Growth Hub. We're doing a pilot project. It's funded by the Minority Business Development Agency. My leg of it is at um, the Advanced Technology Development Center. Um, and what we're trying to do is figure out how to um, augment connectivity and build a better collaboration model for ecosystems for entrepreneurs. In particular, we're focused on... Um, uh, MBEs, minority business enterprises, and uh, BIPOC-led companies. Um, and so, and this isn't just about, it's not just another initiative of like, how do we build access? It's, it, we're, we're doing the work while we're sitting there and thinking about how, how do we collaborate better? How do we break silos in our ecosystem? 
How do we talk about what we don't know, you know, and, and, and make those connections? Um, I truly believe that the power um, uh, for an, any economy is the people within it. Uh, so when there's divisions among us, it's really hard uh, to, to, for everyone to have an equal chance and for us to capitalize on the innovation that sits within each of our communities. Um, Atlanta is this amazing place, right? And people from the outside are like, oh, it's hopping. Like, what do you guys do there? And it's like this new tech hub or whatever. Um, but the reality is that we have a lot of work to do uh, to um, collaborate better and to really capitalize on, on the incredible talent um, and, the, and, and just the, the vibe of innovation and, and creativity and imagination that is in our community. Um, so I'm laser focused on that right now. Um, yeah, so if you want to talk about collaboration and ecosystems and diverse access, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I mean, where can people go to uh, get access to that? Yeah, so, um, I w so connect with me on LinkedIn, Blanca Catalina Garcia. Um, and then uh, the best way to get the best way to con for me to connect to you, uh, we we do have a site on the George Tech site, the Business Growth Hub. Um, but I'll just go ahead and give you my email. It's Blanca B L A N C A dot Garcia at innovate dot G A Tech dot Edu. Just email me and and I'll get you connected. Cool. Um, yeah, my name is Tim. We're Start Proto, and basically what we work on is filling in the massive gaps that manufacturers have right now on their shop floor visibility, right? So manufacturers today, especially some of the ones we've seen, lose out on so much of the data that's on their shop floor that could be crucial in driving their business, right? They don't, they don't know where parts are. They don't know which one's profitable. Um, so we're really trying to build the enabling technologies to, with as little, as little burden on them as possible, get them the data they need to effectively run their operations. Um, yeah, as far as where you can find us, um, uh, startproto.com is probably the best place, uh, or tim at startproto.com, you can email me as well. And uh, yeah, in terms of what we're looking for, we're currently planning for our first customer, I think, you know, looking to raise around in the next couple months. So any manufacturers or investors we're always looking for for more people to connect with. And I'm Monroe Ramsey. That's M-O-N-R-O-E-R-A-M-S-E-Y, uh, founder CEO at Virtual Air. Um, we are the surround sound of air, and virtual air is not just a buzzword. We literally are like digital air. And basically, we're the surround sound of air, and we simulate motion for the user while standing still. Um, but that's not just something that you can use in VR. That's also something that you can use in public advertising, public experiences, immersive experiences. Also, our big solve for you know moving air inside of our homes right now are giant rotary engines on the ceiling that, uh, when I looked, were doubling our power costs. So we're a lot more efficient with moving air than those kinds of things. So if you wanted it to act like in a similar form of like a massage chair where you have an experience where it's like a shiatsu massage, you could also have an experience where you're in your desk chair and you're having like a Machu Picchu air experience where you feel like you're at the top of a mountain and then you could skydive off of it and we could make that happen. So we're multi-directional air and we can incorporate into VR, we can incorporate into public, we can put it at the bus stop, wherever you want. Um, so we're looking for key partners, uh, anybody that is looking to invest, um, anybody that would like to work for us. We're 
just tell me what you could do and we'll probably, you know, answer your questions and, and listen to you. So, um, yeah, hit me up. V-A-I-R, V-A-I-R dot M-O-N-R-O-E at gmail.com or virtualair.tech or virtualair Instagram, virtualair LinkedIn, whatever you want. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you all again very much for coming. I know it was very hard to uh, make time to come here. And uh, look, and it, it, it's, it's also, also a little weird, right? So we haven't been in these gatherings like this in, in a while. So it's, it's good to talk again. And uh, we're excited to have people starting to connect again. Um, thank you all for coming. Now we'll do uh, open networking. And I'm, I'm excited to talk to some more of you that are here. Uh, pizza, beer, wine, water. Um, get it. Uh, again, I'm Jared from TechSquareATL.com where we're connecting individuals and companies seeking productive collab collaborations. Again, thank you all for being here, and uh, we'll see you next time.